everybody, uh, a lot of you want to work with VaynerMedia. Good news, we're hiring. We're hiring creators, uh, specifically right now, and we'll keep updating this promo throughout the year. Video and design capable individuals. People that have good ideas and would know what to do if we needed to sell watermelon or or bubble gum or soap or wine or sneakers. Uh, we're looking for video and image creators. Think about the stuff I put out on Instagram, that kind of stuff. Are you scrappy? Are you hungry? Uh, com slash creators with an S. Uh, go fill out the form. Please join our team at VaynerX because I think some of these people are gonna go into 137, some are gonna go to Vayner Talent, mainly for Vayner Media and maybe the occasional person for Team Gary V. If you wanna join the VaynerX family, please go check out, specifically right now for Vayner Media, though we save the resumes and we move them around to GaryVee.com slash creators with an S. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Welcome to VaynerX Presents Marketing for the Now. I'm Andrea Sullivan, CMO of VaynerX, and I'm here with Gary Vaynerchuk. Hey, everybody. Great. And we're back to talk about all things esports and gaming. If everyone can help us in continuing the conversation on hashtag marketing for the now, and if you want to go back and watch any of our prior episodes, of VaynerX Presents Marketing for the Now, please check us out at VaynerX.com. We've got an amazing lineup and we have an amazing co-host today. I wanna to introduce Maha Abu Elanane. Well she done. Is the, <laughs> all right, thank you. I've worked with Maha for so long and I rarely pronounce her last name, I, re I realize. She's the Chief Value Officer for Gary Vaynerchuk and EVP of Business Development. She wears many hats in the company, but today she's here to help us in adding value to brands who want to lean into the world of esports and gaming. If you want to build brand relevance and want to search for a pathway to win over Gen Z, this is something that we definitely know a lot about. Maha comes to us from Minnesota, which is home to the Minnesota Rocker and Version 1 Gaming Rocket League teams, which Gary is part owner of. Maha joined the Vayner family from Dubai and also sits on the board of a gaming company called allstar.gg. Welcome, Maha. Hey, everybody. It's so good to be here and I'm excited to be here talking all things gaming and esports. We're going to get started because I think there's a lot of exciting uh, guests that we want you to hear from. Our first guest is Pete Blastelica. He is the president and CEO of Activision Blizzard Esports Leagues which operates Blizzard Entertainment's Overwatch League, the Call of Duty League, and the rest of the Activision Blizzard esports portfolio. Pete has led the launch of two professional leagues, establishing the strategy, the infrastructure, and commercialization for initial seasons, and across esports properties he oversees, operations, strategy, product, marketing, broadcast, content, and commercial partnerships, Pete, congratulations. You just wrapped up your first inaugural season of the Call of Duty League. I was there for the opening. What a thrilling uh, season you've had. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. And yeah, it's good timing. I mean, I, I think if we had been talking a week ago, I'd have a different kind of stress level in my voice, but we made it through the weekend. Uh, we had a fantastic uh, championship weekend, crowned the the inaugural champion of the, Call of the Call of Duty League, the very first season, um, and I think set ourselves up pretty well going into next year. And 
um, yeah, couldn't uh, couldn't be more excited about how the season played out despite substantial headwinds, which I'm sure we'll get into in this conversation. Well, Pete, I'm I'm a little bit bitter because uh, the rocker and I we puttered, we uh, we we sputtered down the end. We had a great start, but unfortunately, you know, with my long aspirations to buy the New York Jets, I've got a nice preview of frustrations uh, in my first season here as a part owner. So I'm a little less happy than you because I wanted this weekend to work out differently. But for for the audience here, set up what uh, what just the whole framework. What is Activision's uh, Blizzard esports that you run? Okay, so before I do that, I'm going to give you a little hope, Gary. Please. Uh, because in, in the other league that we run, the Overwatch League, yes. uh, in, the, in the first season, uh, which was two years ago, uh, the Shanghai Dragons went 0-40. 0-40. Oh, they, they literally didn't win a single match in the, in the first season. And they picked up a bunch of fans because people just wanted to see them win. Like, their viewership was off the charts because people were like, maybe today's <laughs> the day the Dragons are going to win. This year, the Dragons are the odds-on favorite to win it all. So I love it. They, you can change they, there, are, there are quick turnarounds uh, this early on it. in the development. I appreciate that, Pete. Thanks for making me feel good. You guys will get there. Uh, so, yeah, so I run Activision Blizzard Esports, um, which uh, operates primarily those two leagues, the Call of Duty League and the Overwatch League. We also operate esports programs around uh, the games Hearthstone, World of Warcraft, um, StarCraft. Uh, but our, our primary focus is on these two uh, professional franchised city-based leagues that we've created uh, around the games Call of Duty and Overwatch. And, you know, what, what, what those leagues do differently from other esports programs in the world is they've, they've taken a page out of tr the traditional sports book and said, you know what, There's a, there, there are ways to unlock fans and value. Um, that traditional sports have, have really gotten right over the years. And we should learn from that. Um, we should bring on, you know, sports owner, owners who may come from a sports background who know how to create fans in a local market. We should situate the team in a local market so that fans who might not otherwise have a reason to, to root for a team uh, now know who they're going to root for. Um, we should uh, demonstrate value to media rights partners and sponsors um, in the way that traditional sports do, which is not something that had really happened in, in esports prior to this, because most esports programs had been operated as like marketing for the core game. Um, and so the operators of those programs were, were giving content away and, and um, you know, not articulating the value of the audience in the way that, that we thought uh, was possible. Um, and so that's what we've been working on for the past four years. Um, first uh, league we launched was the Overwatch League, which is in its third season, about to head into the postseason. Uh, and then just this year, we launched the, the, the Call of Duty League, which same basic model, uh, more of a kind of Western focus as opposed to Overwatch League, which is truly global with a big Asian presence. Um, and we're, like I said, we're about to wrap up, uh, that we just wrapped up that season and we're about to wrap up the, uh, the, the Overwatch League season in a few weeks. So let, let's get into probably the elephant in the room. Like, I think a lot of people looking to learn here. I, I think the most interesting thing that, um, people would want to know is what has been the impact, uh, of COVID on esports in general, you know, cause I think there could be assumptions in both ways. I'd just love to get your three cents on that. Yeah. So we didn't, you know, see this coming. No, no one saw this coming. The, the timing was kind of crazy for, 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 for us though, because 
for the past three years, we'd been working on um, what we called Project 2020, which was really the, all the work involved in, in preparing us for this year when we were doing two things that we hadn't done before and that really no one had done before. One was launching this new league, the, the Call of Duty League, and the other was going home and away uh, with, um, with our matches for the first time. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, for the first two seasons of the, of the Overwatch League, we operated out of a central studio uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, but going into the third season, the plan was for, for teams to manage their own uh, events in their local markets and, you know, to stand up, um, you know, true kind of local economies around these teams. Um, so we did that in January and February. We, we ran a few events in, in both leagues. Um, Maha mentioned she was at our, 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 and you were there too, Gary, at our, our first ever. Uh, sure was. I mean, we, we, had the, we had the great honor of Minnesota actually hosting uh, the opening weekend. So that was a big deal. And I was super excited about that. Yeah, and it went really well. You know, the, the, the fans were, were psyched. Partners were psyched. Um, uh, you know, in, in the Overwatch League, we, um, we sold out uh, our first few events. And then, you know, boom, COVID hit. And we had to very quickly uh, figure out what we we're going to do for the rest of the season, just like everybody else in the live entertainment business uh, had to do. I guess the thing that we, we were able to do that maybe others in the live entertainment business or traditional sports business didn't have the, the, the sort of the, the, the opportunity to do was, um, was continue with our season. I mean, we, we uh, took a two week hiatus um, and used that time to plan uh, for a completely remote uh, competition, uh, reformatted the schedule, um, built a completely remote production infrastructure, meaning all of our uh, live uh, producers, right? The, the, the replay operators and the graphics operators and the director and the producers are all working remotely from home using a uh, kind of a virtual control room uh, uh, system that we hadn't used before. Really, no one had. Um, and then two weeks later, we were back on, uh, on stream um, with matches that were perfectly viable from a competitive integrity perspective, delivering audience, delivering on the value to our sponsors. Um, so we played out the, the rest of our season uh, completely online. And, you know, I won't say we didn't miss a beat because, you know, not only do we take that, that two-week hiatus, but we also obviously aren't able to prove this kind of local event model. Uh, you know, Pete, leave it up to me to get involved in the first, like in the league that does the physical part of esports yeah. that like runs right into the COVID buzzsaw. I was laughing. Totally. I was like, just amazing irony, but, you know, obviously there'll be an opportunity to prove out the thesis. I mean, what, what I, what I say and, and actually feel is that we, we got enough evidence early on in the season to know, to, 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 um, to, to feel confident that the model is going to work. Um, obviously we don't know when, um, be, because, you know, now just like every other live event, uh, business we're planning into 2021 with, uh, with a lot of contingencies, right? Like we, we're not, right. we're not sure when we'll be back. What we're saying is we'll be back in front of live audiences as soon as it's safe. And by the way, as a global business, um, you know, there's another kind of layer of variables there because, uh, that, you know, that, that sort of perception or definition of safety yeah. is different depending on the region you're in. Yeah. 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 Um, 
what, what, one thing that I'd like you to talk about since you're our first guest is a macro thing that I find very fascinating and know there's a lot of people watching here for education, both from a corporate and an entrepreneurial side, is just the demo of esports. I think there's a, a lot of misunderstanding uh, or assumptions around gender and things of that nature that I think might be a fun topic. Anything from your perspective since you get to see quite a bit? Well, it's definitely a young audience. Um, you know, I came from traditional sports. I, I, I did a startup in traditional sports media, um, sold that to Fox Sports, and then worked at Fox Sports for six years um, as an executive. I, I was running digital there. Um, at, at Fox, you know, the sports that we, um, that we worked with were, you know, the traditional, the big ones, the, the NFL, Major League Baseball. Um, you know, we worked with UFC, we worked with NASCAR, we worked with hockey and basketball. And one of the things that I noticed during my time there was that the, the average age of, of a fan of those sports was getting older and older. Um, you know, the average NFL fan, I think at this point, and by the way, big NFL fan, big baseball fan. And so this isn't me disparaging those sports. It, it, well, good it, news, like I, Pete, you, good news. You and I are old too. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we are and, and, and getting older and, <laughs> and, 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 and that's what's happening to the audience of traditional sports too. Like I, I think 10 years ago, the average football fan was like 45 and now they're close to 55. So it's like going the wrong direction. <clears throat> and so I, I kind of looked out and said, man, if there were a, a digital native sport, um, that that could you know start today with a with a very young audience and then do everything in its power to keep the audience young. That'd be very interesting, and that, that's kind of what what esports is. I mean, it's a it's a young global digital native sport. So our average fan in you know Overwatch League is you know, early twenties. Call of Duty fans are slightly older. Um, I mentioned that, that in Overwatch uh, League, our, our audience is very global. Um, you know, about 50-50 East and West, uh, big audience in China, big audience in Korea. Um, Call of Duty is much more of a Western game, so North America and, and Western Europe, and, and excuse a little bit older and a little bit more male. Overwatch League uh, is surprisingly, uh, skews surprisingly female, um, partly because of the nature of the game. I, I don't know if you played Overwatch, but it's this like bright, vibrant, positive, inclusive kind of optimistic version of future earth that, that you're playing in. And the, the nature of the game itself, I think, has drawn a, a player base that, that skews younger and, and more female. Um, and, and we see that at our events. Like, we, we, you know, it's, it's not quite 50-50. You know, we, we're, we aspire and, and kind of reach out to, to sort of uh, create a, an even more kind of balanced um, mix there. But... Uh, it's not quite 50-50, but there are a surprising number of, of, of young, uh, young women and, and girls that attend Sur these events. Surprising to the people that are watching that are just make the assumptions, not surprising right. for anybody who's been paying attention on what, you know, I mean, uh, on what's been going on in this space really for the last half decade, obviously, and even further back. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the key to bringing, to, to bringing women in is make, making the, the space feel safe and, 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 and inviting, um, and inclusive, and that's something the game does very well. I think I think casual gaming and mobile gaming has been an incredible gateway in general as well. If you kind of look at demos and numbers and young girls play and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, mobile. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to um, 
to uh, you know generalize mobile gaming audiences. Like the, depending on the game, you you know audiences can be you know seven or eight years old or seventy or eighty. Um, yeah, it's for facts. Uh, yeah. All right, Pete. We got we got a crazy lineup, so we're gonna have to transition. So no I just appreciate you being on, and thanks so much, Maha. Thanks, Pete. Um, our next guest is Joe Barnes. Uh, Joe is the director of sports marketing of Bud Light. In his role, Joe oversees marketing efforts behind the NFL, the NHL, the NCAA, soccer, and esports partnerships. Joe's worked at Anheuser Busch and Bev for seven years. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Maha. Joe, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Gary? Really good. Let's get right into the, the meat of it. Uh, let's talk about what's going on actually today. I mean, for people that know VaynerMedia works with ABI InBev, we don't get to work on the Bud Light business. So this is fun for me to get some uh, catch up as well. So what's going on today? So today is the Bud Light Seltzer battle the best. So, you know, we like to call this the Super Bowl of gaming. So we took the, the top 16 streamers on Twitch, you know, it's in the Tatman, Shroud, Dr. Lupo, these huge names, and they're going to be playing four different games across three different nights. And so, you know, if you're not super familiar with esports and gaming, this would be like the equivalent of taking, you know, LeBron James, Tom Brady, Aaron Judge, and, you know, LeBron, LeBron's on skates one night, Tom Brady's playing baseball the next, right? So they're playing these different games to establish who the all-around best gamer is. So we, we really love what we're bringing here. We're going to have a halftime show with Kygo on Friday during our grand finals. Just an overall really cool event. How old, for my own education, how old is the event and, uh, and how, uh, how's it kind of built over time? Or is this the first one? I feel like I know about this. So this is not the first one, right? So this is the first one. This is our oh, inaugural event. One? And we, we had to take a different approach to it, right? Because we're coming in and making a big, bold statement that we're, get, we're able to throw the Super Bowl of eSports, which is, you know, it's ambitious. But what we did is we... We worked with these streamers to kind of start some online conspiracy and speculation, you know, <laughs> kind of like a, a Hulu or Firefest type announcement where on Wednesday we had all of the streamers just po post a cryptic key visual asset um, with no logo, no branding, and just the hashtag BOTB and hashtag ad. And we just saw, we actually have millions of earned impressions off of this where consumers are just trying to figure out what does BOTB stand for and just guess after guess after guess. And then on Thursday, we actually formally announced this tournament happened. So we had a lot of great conversation. People were really excited to know what was coming and it's the best gamers, right? So millions of social followers. Understood. And, and so, so far, so good from your perspective? Yeah, so far, so good. It's hard to get together that many people, but we've seen from consumers, we're getting a ton of good pickup, tons of good social conversation. And now the big thing's happening now with obviously the launch tonight. So Joe, the kind of overseeing marketing for all these different factions, you know, obviously, and units across all sports, not just esports. What's your perspective on like approaching partnerships in esports that may differ to what, you know, obviously by looking at you, you're a young man, seven years at ABI, but like in this early part of your career, any hot takes on some of the variable differences between working with something emerging like esports in comparison to something that's been around maybe for a hundred plus years, like MLB or, or NHL or things of that nature? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think twofold. One is that when we started to get into the gaming community and activating, we, we noticed that the beer occasions that, you know, 100 years of baseball, people go into the pub to watch with friends, it wasn't established in the gaming space. So for the big challenge for us is how do we create beer occasions in a space where it's not really endemic? 
Um, so a lot of what we do at these partnerships are like, how do we have after hours content where the players are drinking beers and talking about gaming? Or how do we find ways to be more casual with our activations? You know, the battle of the best, it's taking people out of their comfort zone. It's just not the best esports player. It's all these different games that they don't play because for Bud Light, our mission is no matter how hard you game and compete, Bud Light celebrates those that play games and have fun, right? We're about fun, bringing fun to the world, as you might know from working with our brands in the past, but that's really our ambition and to bring our fun Bud Light twist while also creating these new beer occasions is what we have to do in this space. And, and from a beer business that's obviously looking at 21 and older, you know, was it surprising to you? Again, just making some assumptions around your age, general age group. Was it obvious to you or was it surprising when you started double clicking into how much 21 to let's say 45 interest there was in esports? Very surprising. So a lot of people think this is very young and, and you know, it's not even like TikTok is young to us, but right now that, that just like Pete was saying, you know, it's mid twenties, it's late twenties. And, you know, people have been playing games for the past 10, 15, 20 years. So may, they may have started when they were teenagers, but now they're in their thirties, their forties. It really has a broad spectrum, but for us, it is important. I mean, the bulk of the audience is in that 21 to 27 year uh, frame. So that's what we're trying to do to recruit new consumers into the Bud Light brand family. Um, what about, what about for the people that are watching that are corporate, what about the hurdles that have to be jumped over or the perception of like senior marketers, you know, I'm sure you're probably smiling inside, like the cliche thing that somebody's trying to innovate in a company, whether it's an outside agency or it's internal play of like, you know, having that individual within an organization that tends to skew more into 20, 30 years, 40 years of experience often doesn't have their finger to the pulse unless they are that kind of person or have a child often that's close to like, was there any, is there any kind of hurdles within corporate environments of like trying to innovate in something new? Sure. Or, 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 just, rally, or just rallying people to come on board with you and getting kind of that internal support. You know, maybe there's no friction up front, but then just keeping momentum either or. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, we're, we're a consumer first company. And so when the data is showing that our consumers are moving to the space, it helps, right? But then how do you justify investment, right? That's the big question that I'm often asked. And, you know, we take a traditional sponsorship approach. If, you know, we work with the Nielsen and we evaluate these partnerships, we look at the ROI and, you know, we have our organic own content and we're able to look at, you know, how, how many viewers we're reaching, what the ROI is on that. But also there's new metrics that get introduced to the company. And it's really important to take your time to get people comfortable with these metrics and then consistently use them so they're knowing how we can grow, what justifies the investment. And then I'd say the small things that do matter if there are others that are trying to get the corporate excitement. I mean, we, we have like a video game room set up in our office now. Like there's ways that we can do this to introduce these concepts that may be foreign to a lot of senior leaders, but once they understand the ecosystem, how it works, how Twitch works, it starts to make sense and they can see why the investment needs to be there. I'm going to bring you in to ask the last question, but yeah. I'm going to give you a quick, I'm just going to give a quick shout out. I just want to continue to give a shout out to the marketing for the now hashtag marketing for the now community that's on Twitter, just asking questions, adding, it's really helping me guide it. So big shout out. Thank you for all of you who are watching uh, and, and obviously on LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube and all the other platforms that it streams on. We really appreciate you, but, but 
but just to remind everybody as we continue this series, the comments, the quoting of our incredible guests and giving them love and following them means a lot to me as well. And just insights in your own questions dictate. So big shout out, please say hello. Hashtag marketing for the now for everybody who wants to engage in the conversation and impact the content of the show. Please use that hashtag on Twitter. Maha, last question for Joe. Yeah, Joe, I was just going to ask about the overlap and like the impact on e-commerce. Like that is one of the things that we had talked about before, I think is just an interesting take. And not a lot of people think about gaming have an impact on e-commerce. What can you tell our audience about that? Yeah, so e-commerce and beer is actually, it's, it's very under indexed versus other CPG. So what we were able to do and target for for an esports side is that we can target a digitally native young environment and they're actually using you know e-commerce to buy not only amazon's traditional cpg but they're actually going on drizzly and starting to order so we're able to see a much higher take rate and usage rate when we have promo codes that we're able to give out in chat on twitch or on twitter because this gaming audience is already so ingrained with the technology that makes sense to me and and joe do you think in general like that esports infrastructure um, with its technology stack and capabilities has a better chance long-term to prove out ROI. I mean, really even the way, you know, if you really think about it, one of the great challenges for beer brands and many other brands over the last half century is what is the ROI of a patch on an NBA jersey or, you know, proper football in the World Cup or just being a sponsor like this game is brought to you by Bud Light. Like, you know, as we think about where the world will be, you know, over the next, you know, decade and two decades, do you think esports in general has an inherent advantage as a genre in sports where the tech stack may lead to clear last, last touch attribution or other variables that may actually skew in its advantage as we go over the next decade where brands will feel even more confident to invest because they can actually see impact on their bottom line? Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And, and for us as a beer brand, it helps us to work with someone that's so technically advanced because we need to be there too. Our consumers are already there. So it helps us to get caught up, so to speak, already being in that digital environment that's so much further advanced than a lot of other leagues because they have to, right? You know, League of Legends, Overwatch, these leagues didn't pause during COVID because they're able to constantly run through a digital era. So, I mean, you know, people are saying maybe it advanced 10 years, five years, whatever, but I think the shift's gonna continue to happen in this space. Consumers are gonna continue to be in this space. There's new and innovative ways to reach their consumer and fan base, which ultimately is what we're trying to do as brands by sponsoring these things. Awesome. Joe. Thank you for your insights and for sharing your story with us. I am excited to introduce Christy. Uh, Christy and I have been chatting over Twitter, so nice to see you in real life. <laughs> she is the CEO of Gamers Vote, which is a nonpartisan, nonprofit, pro-democracy organization that encourages and supports the act of participation. If you guys know anything about gaming, you know it's all about community. And Gamers Vote leads a coalition of various organizations as a unifying brand to make voting a priority and help voters, gamers, make sure that their voices and votes are counted and are heard. Christy, welcome to Marketing for the Now. Thank you for having me. Christy, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, obviously a really intriguing um, initiative that you're leading. So let's, you know, probably because this will help people, can you frame up? Uh, you know, what gamers.vote is uh, for everybody yeah. who doesn't know? 
Sure. So, I mean, she just basically said it. So we are a nonpartisan nonprofit <laughs> organization. It's very pro-democracy, but one of the best parts about that is we've evolved so much as any startup would. Uh, this actually began in 2018. Uh, and it was back then um, originally intended to be a one day vote-a-thon that would happen on July 4th. And, you know, then COVID hit and the interest, we already had partners, the building up into 2018, coming to this point, we were expecting people to be like, oh no, uh, we have a lot going on right now. And instead, it just continued to roll in. And what we had to do was get flexible, um, holding anything to one date. And the inbound and the conversations we were having has led us to uh, taking us all the way to November 3rd and beyond. So what has been the most surprising thing for you, you know, if you think back, I, I, you know, what's so fun about, you know, kind of interviewing, you know, even when I just started that, I liked how your head went up and like, you, I do the same move. Like, it's a, it's a fun question. You know, I think it's, I think there's a lot of insight to be had on the person that's leading something when they're asked, what is the most surprising thing that has happened based on the way you thought it would be or it would go and what's actually transpired? Anything stand out? And Maha, I'm going to need you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm eating a huge salad. <laughs> so I'm gonna, this interview, so I'm gonna need you to ask some questions while I eat no, some. No, I'm excited. Here. I want to hear answer this, and then I'll jump in. Sure. Um, I think when we went from just having a vote-a-thon, which obviously would have been more about just like "Hey, go vote" messaging, we were able to have more time to do more thoughtful programming and help our partners. We realized how important the content side of it was. Uh, and that allowed us to pick and pinpoint strategic dates. Obviously, a lot of those happen uh, in September and October. And so with that, we've actually had the ability to spend ooh, uh, March to July and onwards connecting partners. So being like, hey, Columbia Records, like this is happening over here. Do you think you can do something? And, you know, HyperX, can you send incredible headsets over here? And hey, FaZe, do you have any players that we can insert into the various tournaments that we have planned? And with that, I think it be it's that community vibe that we love so much about gamers that we get to continue to be like, look how awesome this is. We're coming together. And uh, again, content, so important. And that's obviously something that we never thought we were going to be able to tackle uh, when we started this. We were we're not even going to have like twi a Twitter account or a Twitch profile, like nothing we thought was possible. And so just getting that up and running and that we know now is our weakness and that going past November 3rd, how important being able to be the content distributor to our partners and support them in their messaging is a new part of who we will be beyond. So big shout out to Mike Tubman who I met with in Minnesota who educated me a lot about what you guys are doing. So talk to us a little bit about the partnerships. Like how do you, how are you engaging with these partners? You mentioned Columbia Records and some other companies. Like what is the role that they play? And if anybody watching today would like to get involved to help bring in the community to, to register them to vote, to make sure that they vote no matter what they're voting for or who they're voting for, how can they get involved? So this is a thing I get to say every day about 20 times a day <laughs> since I started. There is no too little or too big way to get involved. Um, if you have an audience of 10, a social post is still impactful. Who knows who that hits? Um, being able as an organization to push out any messaging about the importance of changing the discourse, even saying to go vote is political, is really helpful to the community at large as we continue to create a culture that, you know, is gaming and voting is synonymous is about who you are it's a normal part of your life is so helpful um, we have partners meeting us everywhere in between 
I think I expected most people to just do the bare minimum and most of our partners are meeting us in the middle to creating tentpole events and finding great ways to collaborate and turn it into something epic. Um, and that's great. As far as partnership is, I mean, you can reach out to us. There's also the ability to go to gamers.vote and just grab our partner kits. That was probably my favorite part of what we were able to create is just putting the streamer kits out there. Our brand kit is there. So any organization doesn't have to check with us first, but there is always the opportunity that we might be able to find a really cool place to connect you to. Um, we have, uh, this is an example of how random this is. We are not just esports or uh, AAA gaming. We are mobile, we are tabletop. And with that, it's a very wide group. We have this Kickstarter uh, board game company that has come up that is awesome. It's by the vote and just finding like, how do I put that in part of our tournaments to the part where it's a five minute game and they get to play as broadcasters. Things that are unexpected, chess.com, like chess.com is being moved into a tournament that's gonna be happening in September. They're huge right now. You might've heard one of our partners, TSM, just picked up a chess player, which I personally love. Uh, PS, do not try to teach your four-year-old chess <laughs> until they're six. I, I regret, decisions I regret. Well, I think one of the things that we're, we're learning through this process is that everybody is a gamer. And I think the, one of the things about the gaming community and gamers in general is that they're socially active and they're socially conscious. And just like a lot of Gen Zers, they care about social issues and, and being a fabric of the community is important to them. What has been for you um, one of the things that you've learned that now you're going to take forward in terms of trying to engage the non-gaming community in, in, in your activities? Well, I, I truly don't believe anyone, especially after COVID, is a non-gamer. Um, but I'm really great. <laughs> My dad is playing a bunch of mobile games right now out of just missing golf and things with friends. But uh, I think one of the best things to think about it is, you know, our gaming is a broad audience. So if you think about a 10-year-old who is playing a bunch of games that are hot right now, whether it's Fall Guys or Fortnite or Brahalla, um, they're influencers in their own household. They're the ones who tell dad and mom that they need a new TV or the the hottest phone to do the things and that we're reaching those audiences as well and they're future voters for sure and that's amazing but right now they can poke dad and mom going like are you registered to vote can you go do this hey big brother big sister are you participating in this process and i think that opens up to again our very long-term effort of how we're going to get local state and district level with our partners there's 22 mayoral elections coming up uh, next year, you have 425 seats in the House of Representatives that are up for re-election. So all of these ways from Senate to otherwise, we can start pulling our partners together to do something that's incredible, whether it's in tournaments in Atlanta or New York, um, finding ways to work with high schools and colleges and get that message out that you just changing the idea, like I said, of um, that saying to go vote proudly isn't saying that you're for change or to support what's currently happening. It's your right and it's your privilege to use your voice to, to make change happen at the ballot box, not just complaining online, although we're very good at that as a community you might've noticed. What do you, what do you think that um, is most surprising, since you're going a little macro here, I'm just kind of generally curious, you know, where is the lack of education of how to actually vote during this time coming from, whether it's mail-in or location? Like, what, do you, what are you seeing as like thematics as we head into the season? Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot of mixed information about that, but that's where we rely on our nonprofit partners, which we have a lot of. Um, vote, at, uh, vote at Home is one of our um, partners. They have great messaging around that. Vote Safe is another one, represent us. So being able to, again, take those nonprofit partners, make sure that our 
gaming partners have that information so they can build it into the discourse. Um, again, a lot of our partners, especially on the publisher side, are starting with internal um, internal relationship with gamers vote. They're finding ways to do that. Um, we have one partner right now that's doing uh, everybody is off on election day and at the same time doing messaging with their own departments. I think it's really great that they can do different things to help change uh, that information. Understood. Christy, thank you for everything that you and the community are doing to help get people's voices heard. And gamers.vote, everyone, if you can support them, we know that it would make a difference for them and for our communities at large. So thank you, Christy. No, thank you guys. We're nothing without our partners. So thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Next up, we have Mike Aragon, who is the Senior Vice President at Content at Twitch. Mike, I'm bummed that you can't visit our office because Gary's got a really cool Twitch studio outside his office. <laughs> Mike oversees the company's global broadcaster partnerships, esports, Twitch studios, content development, and marketing. Uh, prior to being at Twitch, he was at Elation and PlayStation during his eight years at Sony. He managed PlayStation's network digital, video, music, and content services and for consumers in more than 30 countries. I'm sure Dubai, where I hailed from, was one of them. Mike, welcome to the show. And uh, you know, great to see Twitch and everything it's doing in the industry. We're excited to have you on today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So Mike, I think um, you know, it's probably for the audience that's watching, uh, <clears throat> Twitch is a brand that they've heard of at this point or, you know, but may not know as much. So why don't we just start with the hardcore Twitch 101. Just want to make sure we ground everybody, even though it's one of the leading brands and platforms in the space. And thank you for being on, brother. Yeah, no, thanks. Good to see you, Gary. Um, well, yeah, back in uh, 2017 when I joined Twitch, uh, it was I had to certainly explain to a lot of people what Twitch was, especially my, my mom and my, my dad. I uh, didn't quite get it. Today we are a, lot, are a lot more mainstream, but I do think that there's still some folks who, you know, I've heard about it or kids have heard about it. Um, or they heard about it through their kids. But at Twitch, uh, we describe ourselves as a leading service and community for multiplayer entertainment. And the way we describe multiplayer entertainment really is about live interactive video and then the shared experiences that happen with the community and millions of people around the world. So, you know, the way we think about Twitch is it's not a lean back experience where you're just kind of leaning back and consuming content. It really is a lean forward experience where you're leaning in and engaging with a community around your favorite game streamer, or you're watching Thursday night football with your favorite fans or your favorite streamer. Um, but it's that lean in experience um, that really happens because people are uh, watching content and sharing this passion with other people uh, that have similar tastes. Um, they do this a lot um, in, ch in chat on Twitch. So chat is the conduit that connects the content creators and the content and the fans. And, you know, a lot of uh, other services obviously have chat as well. I think that the difference on Twitch though, is there really is a dialogue that happens between the community, each other, and also the community and the fans. And so it's that, uh, so we really see ourselves as a, as a video platform, but it really is a community that brings people together. Um, you know, Twitch right now, we are mostly game content. So people watching other people play video games or watching esports. Uh, but if you think about the mechanism for people uh, wanting live content, having those real-time interactive experiences that gaming provides, it really has started to extend into a lot of new categories. Sports, music are big ones, just chatting, which Gary, I, I noticed that you, you were uh, streaming the other day and just chatting yep. is, uh, you know, when I got here, it was almost non-existent in four years. It's now definitely a 
top two. Sometimes it's the number one category, but it's just a huge category of people like you streaming your passion or yep. you know, we've got people doing talk shows. We've got people doing um, all kinds of different things uh, that communities are interested in. Um, and that has been a part of Twitch that has been growing and it's been, it's been quite phenomenal to see. You know, actually you touched on where I wanted to go, but I, I want you to expand on like, why do you think people are watching Twitch? Like what's, what's like, what are some of the themes and go a little bit deeper on them? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, especially today uh, in, in this world where people are still sheltering in place, but even before that, you know, what we have found is that Twitch is a place where people want to connect with the community, right? It's, it's again, not just a lean back. I want to watch content, but they want to make that connection. Um, they, they want to, they want to connect with people who have similar interests. And so when you watch a lot of streams, um, especially those that have been growing over time, it's really kind of the same group of people. It's almost like a group of friends coming and enjoying talking with each other on chat, but also talking with, talking with the content creators. And I think that's why they, they want, they want that passion. They want that community. They want that sort of being with like-minded people. It's almost like they're, they're watching content or enjoying an experience with their squad. We sort of think of it as like a virtual party, like people are on, they just want to go hang out with somebody and that's kind of the experience. Then we also have a, another subset of folks who just love watching people do what they do, the best, of, best in the world. You know, my daughter got a 17-year-old daughter who plays soccer and she loves to watch Rose Lavelle soccer videos and Leo Messi videos. And it's some people who just want to watch Stroud, one of the best gamers in the world, just do his thing and see how this guy is so amazing. Um, because he is, and these, some of these folks are just the best in their world and others are just funny and entertaining and others are, you know, they have, so they've got all kinds of different people. We've got the high skilled gamers. We've got the gamers who just have a great personality and build community. And, and then we got some folks who just want to learn from the best. Um, but it really is about that community and the connection with each other that, that makes Twitch very, very unique, uh, in, in everything that we do. Actually, Michael, from my, from my own curiosity, what, what were you doing right before Twitch and what kind of like triggered you to, to make the jump? I'm just, there's a lot of executives watching right now and I think you might be able to help them with that. And I think that might be an interesting question. Yeah, so to take a, a little bit of a, a step back, when I was, um, so, you know, I was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, spent all my life there. Um, you know, my parents were, you know, uh, my dad worked for the phone company, middle, great middle-class family. Um, but, you know, didn't have a ton of perspective out, outside of, you know, Albuquerque. We had traveled a bit and my first job was at Intel and um, uh, because Intel at the time in Albuquerque was a huge manufacturing facility. I went and worked there and kind of got into the tech space first, um, but decided, you know, that wasn't quite my thing. I wanted to go get my MBA. And when I was coming out of my MBA, got into digital, I worked for uh, Booz Allen at the time, had a big communication yeah. media and technology firm, uh, Michael Wolf, who I'm sure you've heard of, was, yeah. was an offer partner and worked for him because they wanted, they were at the time, the, the, the sales pitch was the, the convergence of media and technology. So I worked with him on a, and other partners on a bunch of uh, you know, projects in that space where media companies were starting to think about digital and what the impact was gonna be. Um, we decided to move out of New York uh, when we had our twins and just said, hey, we want to live a little bit closer to Albuquerque and or home. And that ended up being Los Angeles and worked at a, st a studio for a bit at Sony Pictures and helped them with a lot of their initial digital transformation because this is 2004, 2005. And, you know, the, the studios were trying to figure this out. 
Um, right around that time, PlayStation 2 had was uh, sort of, you know, they were deprecating PlayStation 2 launching PlayStation 3. And one of the big gaps was we didn't have a very good platform, uh, a PlayStation platform. And so they hired a whole group of us to go think about what's the business model for PlayStation Network and how do we uh, build experiences, digital experiences for games and online games and community playing, but also other things like media. And so I went and I did that for a few years. And that's that's how I got into gaming. Got it. Um, but my role at, at PlayStation was really about gaming is at our core, but like what are other adjacent things that gamers want to do? They want to watch Netflix. They want to watch movies. They want to listen to music. And so my job was running those services and really thinking about the adjacent interests of a gamer and bringing that to PlayStation. Um, and that helped PlayStation 4 get back to where it was, uh, which was number one. And um, at the time I, I had uh, met Peter Chernin and his crew and decided to, to, to do a stint in the, the sort of the startup world. And one of the things that Peter was trying to do is they had bought a, an asset called Crunchyroll, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And back in 2015-ish, you know, and Crunchyroll is still quite popular. It's, you know, very niche, but it's one of the most popular and, and, uh, and sort of dedicated services for people who want to watch anime. But the thesis at Churnin at the time was anime was great um, and had millions of subs. I think it was the top eight uh, or the number eight uh, subscription service at the time, kind of behind MLB and Netflix and others. But uh, we all knew that there were sort of diminishing returns in terms of the audience just because it was niche. And so one of the things that I had always been able to do well in, in my past jobs was figure out, okay, what is this base business and how do you expand by bringing adjacent content or adjacent services to make it bigger? And so the thesis was, can we take these several million Crunchyroll subscribers who love anime, add content that's adjacent to anime, sci-fi and adult you know, animation and other things uh, and really expand the base of, 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 of uh, the audience there. Um, and so did that and ended up, the company ended up selling to AT&T and you know, they're, they're all doing great. But at that point I had met Emmett Shear, who is our CEO and Kevin Lin, who's one of our founders. And they had, this is I think maybe a year and a half after Amazon uh, had purchased them. And, you know, they were, they were under a little bit of pressure to do the same thing. You know, gaming is always going to be the core of what we do, but we know gamers have a lot of adjacent interests and a lot of different things. And so they wanted somebody with uh, my experience to be able to take that, uh, take the service and really expand without losing the essence and the core of, of who we were, which is gaming, but to try to bring in that, the, the new type of content and also map, uh, lay out a sort of a strategy, a content strategy so that we can do things in a very Twitch unique way, which is really around the interactivity of bringing the community in. And, um, and so that's kind of sort of the quick three minute version of how I got to where, where I am at Twitch. Talk to me about the creators. Yeah, so, well, we've got, uh, gosh, it's grown immensely since I've been there in, the, in my four short years, but we've got about 4 million creators at any given point in a month that stream on Twitch. Right now, a majority of them are, are game streamers. So they are playing video games and they're broadcast, broadcasting it and interacting with their fans. Um, but the creators have started to, you know, as with any community, there's a lot of organic growth that happens on these communities. And so we've had uh, just chatting pop up. So all of a sudden we just had people wanting to talk about politics and sports and music and a, a bunch of other things. We had people start to stream cooking streams because they were passionate about it. One of the really funny experiments that we did early on is we said, hey, what do we, what if we start airing Bob Ross? And people are like, God, Bob Ross, it's just so kind of random, right? It, like mm -hmm. 1970s painter. But the thing that resonated with Bob Ross and why he was so popular on Twitch is I think he was the first person 
who at scale or you know broadcast to many many thousands of, or millions of fans his passion and his passion was painting and a lot of twitch people kind of saw that they're like well i have this passion for gaming and i kind of see this guy's passion and that's why bob ross resonated on twitch and continues to resonate today and so um those the streamers are a pretty diverse group of folks i mean we've got when you think about the premium streamers we've got a lot of uh we've got deals with the nba and the nfl really big content so those are content creators got deals with media companies. Um, and then we've got deals with just a whole slew of creators who sometimes they just play video games. Sometimes they do a mix of different things. Um, we've got creators who are doing cooking shows. We've got uh, fitness shows now. It's literally just grown into so many different things that you would think that uh, where creators want to create content and share it with their fans. And, and that's the basic creators right now. It's hard to kind of wrap it all up into one because when you've got millions of creators, there's a lot of different things that are happening on Twitch, but those are sort of the big buckets of categories that are growing on Twitch right now. Hey, Gary, I'm just going to chime in and ask a question. Mike, I've been, you know, obviously with COVID happening, watch time on, on Twitch is, is, is up tremendously, but it's so entertaining. Like I've been on there myself. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask like for the brands that are listening today, like what's the best way for them to be part of an authentic experience so that the, 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 you can preserve the, the entertaining way that people like to interact with Twitch? Yeah, I mean, there's a, we, we love, there's a lot of brands who have been joining Twitch. And I think, you know, uh, one of the things that we've done is we built a lot of O&O properties. So I have a, I run a team called Twitch Rivals, which is basically an esports tournament platform. And a lot of brands have wanted to attach to that because esports is becoming, is growing and, and big. And we can, you know, we have a lot of great streamers who participate in it. Um, but I think it's just like the, when brand, you know, we have a very young, engaged audience and, 39% of our, uh, the people on our service, you know, don't have access to traditional TV. I mean, they, they're watching pretty much everything online. And so there's a, just a huge base of folks that, you know, these brands can reach on Twitch, but that, that they can't reach anywhere else. Um, but, but, you know, I would say that we've just, you know, even if you think uh, that gaming is, is like all we do, it really isn't. There's so many other different, really interesting, different types of content that, um, people are engaging with and that are, that that's brand safe. And that, um, we think would be a great opportunity for them to, to tap into an audience that they're not going to be able to reach anywhere else. And how have the numbers been in COVID? What, what, what can you share with us about, <laughs> I mean, just, we know the numbers are the numbers, but like what, what, what trends have you seen and, and how do you think it's going to sustain? Yeah. So, um, Gosh, you know, we have grown immensely since since the COVID uh, thing hit. I think we, you know, we're up to now four million unique streamers every month. Um, in Q1, we had 79 million daily active viewers, which is a lot more than last year. We've got about a million and a half people that are tuning into Twitch on average, um, and the, and it's growing significantly from there. So if you just look at general TV, I mean, we'd be a top three cable net, just at, just if you think about scale of where we are at. Um, you know, and I think with COVID, it, 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 what has happened is we've seen a massive increase in streamers, um, but it's also musicians who can't tour. You know, one of the great things about yeah. Twitch is like now I can go and I can connect with fans that I couldn't before. And so we've seen a massive influx there. Athletes looking to stay engaged uh, and connecting with their fans has been, been a huge thing. We had one of the things that happened really early on that I thought was really kind of fun was we had some of the F1 drivers, uh, Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, and they were like, God, what are we going to do? We can't race. So they were running Sims and then they started running their Sims on Twitch. And now you got like Lando Norris is 
pulling in 20, 30,000 concurrence, just watching him run his Sims. And now he loves it because now he's got fans. And now these fans are becoming, you know, huge Lando Norris fans because they love this guy. He's got a great personality, super cool kid. He's a winner. And now, while he's not being able to fully train all the time, but he can actually train on his sim and actually do two things at once, which is continue to build that fan base, that fan base of Lando Norris fans. Um, so we've seen a lot of that, that, that different activity um, across the board. Um, you know, another fun thing that happened kind of early on was, you know, Devin Booker was streaming, I think he was probably streaming at Call of Duty. And then some, somebody tweeted at him, one of his teammates, hey, I think we're on hiatus. And then it, you know, diverted into this 30 minute, what's mm -hmm. happening? Are we canceling the stream? Mm -hmm. And all this stuff is happening on Twitch. And so it's just, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's happening because you've got millions of streams, but there's just so many of these different types of moments that have been happening. Yeah, it's, it seems yeah. like there's been more cultural, you know, whether it was way back kind of the moment with, you know, Drake and Juju and Ninja, yeah. you know, like, like it's, it, it does seem like things happen on Twitch, like cultural moments, things that hit the zeitgeist, things that are talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people are starting to see that more. I mean, I think another one of those, Gary, was, you know, I'm going to screw up his name, Hal Porge Bjornsson, the, the mountain from yes. Game of Thrones. He was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna to try to break the world deadlift record on Twitch. So he does it. And it's just like another one of those moments where it's like, God, that's, it's amazing. You can't script those things, but people do that because he wanted to break that record with his fans and be able to share that with them. And, and he did it. Um, so yeah, you're right, Gary, it's that zeitgeist, it's that moment. And, and it's a great place for people to do things with that, that are interesting for their, for their communities. Here's an important question do your parents now understand what you're up to? <laughs> sort of. My mom, <laughs> my mom still says I work for Amazon. So <laughs> it's easier for a, her. And it just carries a little bit more cash. In. Gravitas. No, so I we, get it. We, we let it, we let her, we let it slide. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I think she looks at this stuff and she's like, I don't understand this video game thing, but it's okay. You know, it's like <laughs> she gets it and she knows that we're happy and that things are growing and that, you know, I work for a company that's, that's a, it's a wonderful company. Um, and she's super proud of it. So yeah, they, they're getting it a little bit more, but it's still a little bit like, really? They're watching people play video games? I mean, by the way, that argument has been the silliest and easiest argument for me to win within three seconds. Yeah. Gary, they're watching other people play video games. I'm like, like you watch people play golf? Yeah. Like this yeah. notion that like watching somebody else, I think it's stupid to have somebody else watch somebody else doing something. I'm like, you mean every sport? Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is if you look back, okay, so I was in college in the 90s, you know, and yep. Swingers was a big movie. I don't know, one of the yes, fun- Yes, of course. They're playing, you know, NHL, NHL 94. 94. Yeah, I remember and, like, you know, yes. My, my friends, you know, we used to sit and we used to sit in somebody's room and we would play goal and we'd be fighting with each other. And that's, we would do that for hours. And we'd have like, you know, you know, girlfriends would come over and we'd all just be sitting in this room and we'd just switch off and we'd- talk a lot of smack with each other, but that's been going on since the nineties when none of this stuff was connected. And so like, yeah, it seems foreign to some folks, but like the nature of video games is it's a communal thing. It's a fun thing. It is a way to connect with your friends and your fans. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not. Actually on that, on that note, Mike, what, yeah. what video game, because ironically you just brought up, if somebody asked what game would I feel most confident that I can compete at the highest level. Meaning there is no game on earth that I'm even in the top, you know, half a million best players in the world. It's just not what I was meant to do. <laughs> but, if, but if I had to play the game, it would probably be 
NHL 94, <laughs> yeah. Street Fighter with Blanca. I've got this thing down with Blanca. Just, <laughs> that's funny, okay. Or ironically, and I think it's hockey games for me, or ironically, ice hockey for Nintendo. Mm-hmm. But for you, what would you say, like the single game that you would argue, whether you're good or, or not good, like I am at video games, is your strongest game and you would put up the best record up with? Oof, that's a tough one. Um, I, uh, well, I'm older, Gary, so I work with a lot of, you know, 20, 30-year-olds and the, the hand-eye coordination, the, the, the twitch, <laughs> quick twitch element. This is like- Yeah, but, but, you might, but you might be unstoppable at like fishing derby for Atari. I'm pretty good at the old school. I'm pretty, I'm really good at goal. On okay. Nintendo, I'm good at like the yeah, I'm good at most of the sports games, like the um, early, early, the like, early sports games, yeah, like RBI early. baseball or like baseball for Nintendo, baseball and the, and the middle, the early Maddens was my thing. Um, do you remember Ring I, King? I was very I good do, at Ring King. I do remember Ring King. Um, the game, the current game that I'm actually not bad at um, is Fall Guys. So Fall Guys might Uh-oh, be the, we talk about Fall, that. Fall Guys might be the you know, we're, we're hoping it might be the, you know, the 2020 version of, of, of Fortnite or other big games. It's uh, this massive multiplayer game, 60 players, totally fun. You know, you go through a series of obstacles and it's the last character standing. Uh, we just did a rivals tournament. So my team runs these rivals tournaments. Um, and it, it was the very first ball guy tournament. We had like pretty much every single one of our big creators playing. And it was like 65,000 people, 650,000 people watching on Friday, this tournament. And we didn't even give a big prize pool because we were like trying to pull it together. Yeah, really fast. Playing, yeah. It was like, it was like 7,000 bucks, but you got people like, you know, some of our top streamers that are making a lot of money. They're fighting over this, you know, for them, you know, $7,000 is a lot of money for most people, but for them, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a modest yep. prize pool in the esports yep. world, but man, they were so excited about it. And it's just a fun game. And it, and it's one of those ones where pride, pride, good at pride is worth a billion dollars. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, no are bragging awesome. rights as well. <laughs> right, 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 right. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. We will be watching more Twitch so we can get more entertained and, and really engage with some of the gamers and streamers. Uh, we appreciate your time today. Oh yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Thank, I, thank I, you. This was fun. Okay. Bye-bye. Our next guest will probably make you hungry. <laughs> Chris Brandt is the CMO of Chipotle. Uh, he joined the company in April of 2018. And prior to that, he was the executive vice president and chief brand officer for Blooming Brands. And he also served as the chief brand officer and chief marketing officer for Taco Bell. Speaking of Twitch, uh, Chipotle has been doing some pretty fun things on Twitch, among other things. Chris, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here and uh, connect you with everyone on the audience and Gary. Thank you, it's great to be here. How's it going, my friend? It's going, how about, it's going great. How about yourself, Gary? Good, Chris, thank you so much. Why don't we just start with the frame up? Obviously, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to think almost everybody is aware of the incredible brand, but what about its role in esports and gaming? You know, how are you and the organization thinking about that? Yeah, I think, you know, when we, when we came in in 2018, the goal of this brand was to make it more visible, more relevant, and more loved. And, um, you know, I, I happened to have uh, a couple of teenage boys at the time, and I saw them, you know, really from about the end of 2017 into 2018, they and all their friends were just playing Fortnite. And um, so I think Fortnite was at that time single-handedly lowering the GPAs of every young male in the country. And I'm like, I want to get a piece of this. And so when I came in in 2018, I think part of the goal was, hey, 
I want to be in gaming, but we want to be in gaming like an endemic sponsor. We want to feel like we're a part of this community and that we understand this community. And so a friend of mine actually worked for a team called TSM. And, you know, one of our biggest rules and one of my just personal rules of any influencer you get is they are legitimate fans of the brand. And he had a team called Team Solo Mid, TSM. They were three of the top 15 streamers in Fortnite at the time. And they absolutely loved Chipotle. They were eating it a couple times a week already. So it was sort of the perfect segue. Yeah. We ended up being a, a TSM Fortnite house sponsor. And, you know, we've kind of continued to build things. We kind of add little things all the time. Now we're with 100 Thieves, um, which is another kind of, they, yep. they like, they're a gaming team and also a lifestyle company. And that really fit Chipotle well. So, and we have the Chipotle Challenger series, which is a, a, a virtual series where we give fans a chance to play with celebrities and some of their gaming heroes. So we're just kind of adding on, adding on, adding on. But the number one principle is we want to feel a part of this community and not just a sponsor coming in, you know, and paying a bunch of money for things that don't right. really. Sla slapping your, sense. yeah. yeah. I mean, slapping a sponsorship name, that's not what we want to do. Understood. Maha? Um, one of the things uh, that I would love the audience to hear about is you, you know, you talked about being relevant with the Gen Z audience and Tony Hawk, who, you know, was supposed to be, you know, part of skateboarding, supposed to be big with the Olympics. And you really created a whole experience for your consumers around skateboarding and the brand in terms of the burrito. Tell everyone about that whole activation and, and brand partnership, because I, I, I saw it go live and it was just phenomenal to watch. Yeah, that just happened uh, a few weeks ago. And um, Tony Hawk's been a longtime friend of Chipotle. I think he's had one of our celebrity cards, which are pretty tough to get since like 2013. So when we found <laughs> out that he was launching Pro Skater 2 was coming out and we're like, well, hey, how do we do this kind of, you know, bridging the, the sports? Because I think e-gaming and skateboarding are very similar in their approach where people are certainly competitive with each other, but they want to lift up the entire kind of sport in and of itself and just because I do well doesn't mean you have to um, do poorly right it's like we're elevating the sport and so it was such a nice blend of two cultures which I think are pretty similar and um, so we approached Tony and we worked with the guys at, at Pro Skater and we actually put Tony's Chipotle order up digitally so you could eat the exact same burrito that Tony did and um, it all worked out great. And he did a he did a live stream with a couple of other guys, and uh, you know it was it was perfect. It's just the kind of you know stuff that you want to do that feels really feels really personal. It feels really special, and just doesn't feel very commercial, which is you know. Chris, you know what? Let, let's everyone. focus on that. Just knowing there's a lot of marketers that are going to watch this. You, you've kind of really hit the tone in the first couple minutes here around authenticity. You know. And you talk about skateboarding and esports similarities, which you're right, which is if you come into these kind of very progressive, you know, emerging or anti-establishment DNA driven areas as a brand, you have to tread lightly, which is AKA, unless you come real, you're going to get smoked out. Yeah. You know, how do you, you know, so now easy to say for you and I on a stream like this, very difficult to navigate as a CMO where, you know, it's a big company, you have a boss, it's publicly, like I have a lot of, you know, for me, it's easy. I don't have a board, it's a private company. And if I screw up, you know, I have to look myself in the mirror and say, you screwed up. Whereas for you you've, and, and all the other CMOs and senior marketers watching, you know, 
there's other variables there where you're not fully in control for the makeup. Like you may get caught up in the news cycle. How do you think thoughtfully through progressive areas and how to enter both sides of the equation? One, to hit it with the consumers, but also not to be too risky where let's call a spade a spade. You're putting your own families at risk. You don't want to get fired as being the person that took too big of a risk. And we've seen that from progressive brands over the last 20 years where you've had, I've seen individuals have great runs by doing progressive work champion and then one slight tweak the other direction and they get caught up in the wrong news cycle, which makes them, which makes a lot of brand, this is why brands are coming in vanilla. For everybody who's watching who's not on the brand side, because I know we have a huge mix in the show, the reason a lot of times brands come a little bit soft or not cool enough or what have you is you want to mitigate risk. Otherwise, you can get caught up. I think it's an interesting juxtaposition, Chris. Yeah, it is. Um, look, I, I think that if you're always worried about getting fired, you're just, you're just not going to do your best work. And so, you know, I think, and, if, and, and, and I think if you are, I think you've got to live and die by what you believe. And so the other part is, you know, we didn't make some gigantic investment in esports to start. And the one, my philosophy is, look, I want to try a lot of different things. I put a lot of different irons in the fire and I'll pour the gas to the ones that work and we'll pivot away from the ones that don't. And so, you know, we started small, but we wanted to be, this is a community where you kind of want to be invited in to your point. I just don't want to slap a logo on and go get the biggest gamers and just it not, it's not authentic. It's not, it's not what the community wants, but when you can find guys that are truly passionate about your brand, then they're going to advocate for that brand in unique ways. I mean, we don't want to, and then you can also, because they're passionate about your brand, you can trust them to do right by your brand. One of the first things we did with TSM was we were doing a kickoff video and they came to me with this 10 to 12 minute video of them tasting Chipotle ingredients and trying to guess what they were because they didn't know that they were going to be sponsors yet. And so this was the kickoff and they came to me with this video and I'm like, whoa, I'm thinking like this should be two to three minutes max. And you just guy gave me 12 minutes and I'm like, need to cut it down. So they came back with a 10 minute video. I'm like, you know, I'm like, guys, I don't think anybody's going to watch this, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they said, look, trust us. We know our fans. And they were exactly right. It was one of the top videos that they ever had. The completion rate was incredible. People watched all 10, 11 minutes, whatever it was. And so you trusted them. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, you've, you've got it. One, you have, I think the key to not being fired and all of that is to have a good relationship with your CFO and with the CMO. Yes. Or the CEO. And the CEO. I know where and, you're going. And so yeah. if you have a good relationship with those guys, you're like, hey, this is what we're doing. We don't, not all of this stuff is going to work, but we have enough things that could work that we could pivot to. And, you know, and, and the unfortunate, you know, between Brian and Jack, they're great guys and they kind of get it. And so, look, I wasn't staking my entire marketing budget on e-gaming working. And that's not the way to approach those kind of right. new things. Right. Um, so it was it was relatively easy. It wasn't a lot of money and, you know, we've proven success. So the money ramps up, you know, as you go, but I think that you've got to establish a good rapport with them. You have to tell them what your philosophy is. And look, I, you know, I had, I had a leg up cause I'd worked with Brian Nichols, was our CEO before he brought me into this job, even before he came to start of the job. Sure. So, th so that's just yeah. to your Full point. disclosure. Yeah. To, to your point, when you've got that kind of relationship graph, it allows you to have more comfort than the unknown. I think so. That's, yeah. there, there is no question about that. Yeah. yeah, no question. Maha, question from you? I was going to ask you just in general, like how are you cascading what you're doing online and offline? 
cascading to like we just uh, how you're working with like esports and making sure that your relationships with your consumers online through your twitch activations or thing into the in stores to ordering online like online to offline like are you seeing you know a, a strategy where you're getting benefits from you know customers that are in the store do you feel like talk to me a little bit about how you're making sure the online world is connecting to the offline well, one is look, digital sales have become increasingly important. I and mean, so COVID changed the digital equation in a huge way. I think we probably accelerate our digital business by three years just with COVID-19. That fortunately, though, I think even before that, that, you know, we had doubled our growth in digital in 2019. And so, um, you know, we had digital was where the action was in the restaurant business even before COVID. It certainly has accelerated things. But we were driving a ton of growth there. So we were, all the investments we made in 2018 and 2019 in the digital really paid off now. And so, but I think the biggest part for us was regardless of all digital, digital versus, you know, in restaurant, whatever, we were just trying to be more relevant in culture. And there were few things more relevant in culture for a lot of young men than gaming. Whether, and, and in gaming trans, you know, transition uh, goes across all these lines of, sport you know and everything else and so um we just said we're going to be relevant there and being relevant in the brand you know familiarity breeds liking and liking beats brings more people into your brand so we were less worried about whether they were coming digitally or in the restaurant we were worried about being relevant in culture and that's what gaming really brought for us and what about female gamers how are you connecting with them yeah, I, you know, we, we, we've worked with uh, on TSM, they have a very popular um, female uh, streamer. And so, you know, we haven't, we, we try to make things a little bit more agnostic. I mean, I don't think that the philosophy of female gamers is a lot that is, is that different than male gamers in terms of the games that they're playing and things. So, you know, we're happy to have, you know, her as a great representative for us. But, um, you know, we're, we're a brand for everybody. So as long as we're not doing something and, and no brand should do things that are misogynistic or any of those things. So we feel like we'll be in pretty good shape. I think the other thing about gamers, you know, that it's interesting to me is um, there are a lot of these guys are real athletes. Yeah. And so that was a nice angle for us too. I mean, the, the kind of hand-eye coordination that they have and the training that they do, it's legit. And so real food helps them. And so that was, we have another platform, real food for real athletes that, we work with, you know, NBA players and NFL players and soccer players and those kind of things. But that that that, that works for gaming, too. And I think that, you that, know, that maybe was, people that don't was want a, to admit it or maybe it's awkward to admit, but it certainly works. That was a pleasant surprise where you will take some of that equity and apply it to this world. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much crossover between athletes and gaming because athletes have a lot of free time on their hands. And so they typically spend a lot of time gaming. And we've been surprised with our Chipotle Challenger series where it's a vir that virtual tournament, how many athletes want to get in. And so that was a nice surprise for us and certainly kind of works then across um, certainly the different genres. Can you explain to everyone what that challenge series is? Yeah, so it's basically a virtual tournament that we host ourselves. Um, we started out in doing it in 2019 at physical locations at DreamHack events. This year, we set out, um, even as the end of last year, we said, hey, let's make it virtual so we can bring more people in. Um, then COVID hit, so we accelerated things a little bit more. But we've, we have another one coming up here um, in September where Fortnite will be the game. So there will be um, a 1,000 teams in the qualifiers. There's two qualifiers, and then there's a final. 
and the winning team will win, you know, fifty thousand dollars in burritos for a year. I think the burritos for a year seems to be more <laughs> valuable. You know, as you were talking with the previous guest, Gary, more pride. There's more pride in winning burritos for a of year course, than it's with money, um, and that's great too. You know, just just as a last thing, just to level this up again, trying to bring as much to the audience as possible. How how fun is it? Chris, to work on a brand that is fun in nature, right? Like, I'm just like, even like kind of like smiling through this whole process. Like the reality is, you know, I, I apologize. Maybe actually you can give some context to some of the other brands you've worked on and whether they're not less fun, but is there something that different that happens when there is that kind of spirit? Yeah, I, look, I think that this, this truly Chipotle is a purpose-driven brand like nothing I've ever seen. That, but that, and, and so we do a lot of things about, you know, responsibility in terms of sustainability and responsibly raised and all those things. But there's no, re, you know, a brand is a person. And yeah. I think people want to engage with people that are fun. And when people are fun and have good stories as a person, you want to be their friend. That's what we kind of wanted to do with Chipotle. I think the separating thing from Chipotle, and look, and I was fortunate I worked on, you know, Taco Bell was a fun brand and Outback Steakhouse had some, certainly some fun components, but there's nothing like a brand that has an engaging and fun personality, but is also doing things the right way. I mean, I tell my team, look, we're the good guys. You know, this real food is how you should eat as a person. It's how people should eat in general, and it's better for the planet. And so with all of those things, that makes your team just so much more galvanized and so, so ready. And then when you can show that the brand can have a little fun too, because at the end of the day, we're selling burritos and bowls <laughs> and tacos. When, when people are in the room, when people are eating those, they smile. So you know what? They should have a chance to smile when they're engaging with your brand in other ways as well. And finally, just to sneak it in, what, you know, because now I'm just going leveling it up. What are you seeing in, in the opportunities for social media creative at scale across all these platforms, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, obviously a brand that skews the way you do, like just from a, a CMO sitting at your perch, what are you seeing as the opportunity going into 2021? How, how do you, view those channels and what are the opportunities uh, to advance the kind of marketing work that can be done on them? Yeah, look, I think in whatever channel you're in, um, similar to what we talked about with gaming, you want to be endemic. You want to feel like you're part of it. You know, we, we, we just, we're the only restaurant brand, I think, that has a million followers on TikTok. But I'll, I'll tell you the TikTok story. We, we, had, we, we had talked about getting on to TikTok because half of our consumers are Gen Z or millennial. So we're like, hey, this is, this is going in culture. But we didn't have the right thing. So we had talked to them about like at the end of probably 2018, but we just didn't have the right thing. And then one of our employees sent us this thing where he could flip the lid on without using his hands. We called it the lid flip, but we saw that when we posted it on Instagram, it got like a million, million people hit. And we're like, man, this could be our TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we were on TikTok and we've, and the team has done an outstanding job of understanding that channel. And so we feel like we're, we're really endemic to that channel. So whether it's Instagram or whether it's Facebook or whether it's TikTok, you have to have different creative for those places. And when you do, and when you resonate there, and it's something like they would see from a person, not just a brand, then that's when you really know you're part of the community. And that's why, you know, look, social media is going to continue to be a huge thing. It's a controversial subject in a lot of things, but people aren't going well, away. And well, uh, they love it. That's how they interact. Makes sense. Humans like to blame platforms for their own actions. So that's why it's controversial. There's, I think we'll get into a much more thoughtful conversation about that over the next decade. I, I, I respect where, where people come from, but we have to understand these pipes are empty. 
These are empty pipes. So anyway, right. Chris, That's thank right. you so much. Yeah, Great. thank you all, appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. Um, up next is Emily Callahan. She is the Chief Marketing and Chief Experience Officer at ALSAC, which is the American Lebanese Syrian Associated Charities, the fundraising and awareness organization, which everyone is known as St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Emily has dramatically grown the relevance of the brand to iconic status in addition to celebrating many years of making it um, in the business. Um, one of the things that Emily just shared with us is that they had been named Fast Company's Best Companies to Work For, for innovators. And St. Jude has been in the news recently uh, with everything going on with Chadwick. And so we're really honored to have Emily with us today. Um, welcome, Emily, to joining us and, and to the show. We're excited that you're here. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you, Maha. It's great to be with you. Hey, Gary, how are you? I'm well, Emily. Thank you so much for being here. Actually, before we get into all of this stuff, just to mix it up a little bit today, because I think um, always trying to feed the constituents and reading the comments on Twitter. What about just your personal story? You know, take us back, like, you know, what kind of girl were you growing up, interests, and, and how did this become a career? Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's see if I <laughs> yeah, a little curveball off the, uh, off the bat. You and I expected it. So let's see if I can hang. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I will tell you, I was always a really empathetic kid. <clears throat> and so my um, couple stories I'll tell you. So my father was a funeral home director when I was a kid. Wow. So I'm probably a weird one. My mother was a nurse, but I think the story that prepared me best for this job was when I was a little girl, my father took me to see the movie Bambi. Mm. And um, I cried so hard and so loud that the theater manager came in and said, sir, we're going to have to ask you to leave. The wow. other patrons cannot enjoy the movie because <laughs> your daughter is so disruptive. And so I've always had this deep heart and empathy. And so I can remember right after I got this job about a decade ago, and it was a, a pretty big deal that our CEO asked me to do it. I was really young. And he said, I think this is the perfect job for you. You were born with this empathy and understanding kind of tangential to the medical field but this desire to, to help people be a part of something. Um, so that's it, I'm a small town girl from Oklahoma. I pinch myself that I'm in this seat all the time and I'm, I'm super honored to be here because I feel like our whole purpose is, is helping connect this world to this fundamental human truth that we believe that all kids should have a chance to grow up. That's yes. what I get to do every day is help millions of people fall in love with that idea. So I'm happy to be here. Well, listen, a couple quick things. We are kindred spirits as I thought we were from afar because I cried heavy in the movie theater at Lion King. Oh. The only difference was I was a senior in high school and on a pretty hot date for senior year, Gary, and pretty much changed the outcome of my upside in that scenario. But I still, I don't regret it because that is sad. When he nudges, I just can't, I can't deal. So anyway. You're my person. And I, if she didn't appreciate you, hey, now it's all about the emotionally connected man. You were ahead of your time. I agree. Fun fact, she, had, she admitted that was a key mistake in her decision making as an 18 year old. So I'm happy about that. So let's talk, let's talk, about, um, let's talk about navigating. And you, I, from, again, from afar, because we haven't had a chance to jam too much. I think you've brought an enormous amount of contemporary energy to what is an iconic brand you know, in a lot of ways, that's what I want to do in my life. I want to eventually buy businesses that were iconic and, and refurbished. So I've really admired watching. Um, how's that been? What, what's needed to do that? Do you see that you're, you're pulling that off? Is it fun? Is it, thoughts? Oh, it's been the ride of a lifetime. I mean, a couple of things I'll say, and I, I love your approach to that. 
and I teach a lot about this. So the brand, for those who knew it was iconic to them, but for many, it wasn't. And so we literally measure this out and, and a month ago reached iconic brand status in the same way, the same stringent measures that any brand would do. Um, but one of the things I love about you and it's how we started is you have such a, a research-based mindset. And I don't even mean research in the dorky data way. I mean, you're a listener. You sit and you listen to what people are saying and thinking. And so I can remember when I was interviewed for this job, they said, you know, hey, we already have awareness at the levels of Coca-Cola, but we really didn't because we were asking questions in a way that would give us the answer we wanted, not really digging into research and asking people, what do you know about the mission? What do you understand? How relevant is it to you? And then we really listened to that data and some of it was hard to hear. We also weren't afraid to call the baby ugly. If you looked at the marketing before, there was some powerful stuff in it, but it was all over the place. It wasn't consistent. It didn't break through. And then aren't we, we all as CMOs and people in this industry talk about ourselves as storytellers, but man, I think we fail to take the time to get it right. And it's all about short and instant and one word and a meme. Well, we broke all those truths because what we realized is that people didn't understand our one of a kind business model. So we totally rewrote our messages and the most powerful two things we did is we talked about the why. So here families never receive a bill. We pay for treatment, travel, housing, and food. That was our message and we were so proud of ourselves when we wrote it and people said, well, that's nice. We forgot to tell them why. And so we said, the reason we do that is because all a family should worry about is helping their child live. Well, then boom, people from every background, every ethnicity, every age said, of course, so that why and the last thing we did, Carrie, and I think this is the key to make any brand great, and you know this, we talk about customers and advocates, and we just made everybody who works here accountable to it. So the person who answers the phone at the front desk, the CEO, my, my tech support here today, we, they have the same goal I do. We're all accountable for the brand, and we knew we got it right when other people started sharing our messages and telling their authentic stories. So that's kind of been our journey in a nutshell, and the keys to the kingdom were research, listen, take the time to get your story right, and then empower everybody to be storytellers, which totally parlays into what we're talking about today with the gamers and the content creators. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, one of the things that people might be asking is, what is St. Jude's <laughs> doing in the area of esports? And I think it's an incredible you know, journey that you guys are on, and I would love you to share with everybody. Yeah, I'm happy to. We've got to chat about this a little bit. So, you know, this St. Jude doesn't exist without the support of millions of donors, period. I mean, 80% of the money it takes to operate St. Jude has to come from donations. That's totally opposite than every other hospital that gets most of their money from insurance recoveries. Insurance doesn't really want to cover much of what we do. So we have to help millions of people fall in love with this business. So I remember sitting in my office and this really talented staffer came in one day and he was like, hey, look, you're the CMO, but I got to tell you, we're missing out that the gaming industry by all reports is now larger than movie and music combined. And he's an avid gamer and a really brilliant innovator. And he said, I think we're missing out. And I was like, all right, show me. Go get a team together and come back with a business plan. And so that was back in 2014. And fast forward now, we've raised over 30 million. We have um, active content creators that engage with us that basically we empower to go tell our mission from over 30 countries and active fundraisers coming from over 100 countries, it's been transformative. But then again, it's not because we I heard people talking about they're athletes, they're all that. Well, they're just like us. They believe kids should have a chance to grow up. They just have unbelievable global platforms to tell that story. And especially those who've come here and met with the patients and families, man, they're, they're advocates, they get it. 
Yeah, we've seen the streamers come to visit the kids. They're, they're actively using their platforms and their pages and their social media presence to really help tell the St. Jude story. For real, what, I mean, we've what learned impact so much. On kids. What has been the impact on the kids? Oh man, I mean, so you know, we were founded by an entertainer and right. we have so many amazing celebrities and influencers who come through here, but it's off the chart when certain gamers come in. I mean, when Dr. Lupo comes to your campus, the gamers are like, no way. And then I love the interactions where they're beating him and playing games and besting him. But to me, Ben, Dr. Lupo is such an amazing example of that authentic connection. That's a person who understands they have a massive platform but coming here changed him. And it didn't just change him, it changed his wife. You've seen his son in the streams, like there's a deep connection that happens. And, and Dr. Lupo is just one example. You know, these are kids who are, they're just kids and they don't wanna be defined by their cancer. And so when they can do what they love and play games and when their heroes, a Dr. Lupo, a Chadwick Boseman come here and they talk hero to hero, man, do I have the best job on the planet getting to watch those powerful moments because that's what life's about. When, when you were in that position where this gentleman comes and says, you're missing the boat, and you go through this journey of somebody that you respect or you're willing to listen to gives you an observation of an opportunity, and you start going down that path. As you went through that path with gaming, was there a moment early on where you were like, oh, okay, there's something here? Because I... I tend to really enjoy the path of like trying to figure out new things and sometimes they don't have the stake and other times they do. Was there something early on in the gaming journey for you personally that allowed you to say, okay, I think there's something here? It's a great question. Um, first of all, I'm a big believer. Your people are your greatest asset. And that's one of the most fun parts of my job is people come in and say, Hey, what about, Hey, could we, that's why I think we said fast company named us, you know, best place to work for innovators. So, Honestly, he had me at the jump, mm. partly because I'm a data dork. And so when he walked <laughs> in and said, you know, I know we get hyped up about sports. We have all this long sports history, right? All these NBA players come through here. And he was like, do you realize that these live gaming events, right, can fill stadiums three times over? Like, this is a huge opportunity. And then showed a few of the demographics, the global nature of it. it, it I was like, wow. And then to be able to see them come here to the campus and watch the way the patients responded to them and then just see that built out. And then when you take it into these live streams and forums, right, from going from GuardianCon when it was GuardianCon to, to just on Twitch and, and you see the way people engage with the mission, it's powerful and it's exciting to us because a lot of it is younger. So it's next generation falling in love with this mission through what they're already in love with in gaming. But man, he had me from the jump with the stats. They were blow away. And it's only borne out in a more powerful way when we see it come to life. Mom? I was just going to ask about, um, when you talked a little bit earlier about like your leadership style and, and like, I mean, I, I see when we, we, we chatted kind of pregame, uh, I'm like, you and Gary think a lot alike in terms of empathy and leadership and being vulnerable and how you talk about things. What is the way in which you're working with partners to, to bring that into the equation, especially when it comes to dealing with these children? It's mm. a great question. I'm, I'm humbled by it. I mean, I'll just say, um, you know, our goal is to tap into the humanity and the compassion that exists in all of us. Mm -hmm. um, our goal is to help everyone take whatever it is they're passionate about. Um, 
in this case it's gaming, it could be sports, it could be motorcycle riding, I mean, you name it, we have runners, we have people of all backgrounds, but when they put a fundamental why to their passion, that's when magic happens. And so that power of partnership, right? I mean, Dr. Lupo is already successful. He's making money, he's connecting with fans, but it's a whole deeper level when you connect authentically around this idea of kids and all kids should have a chance to grow up. And some of it's because we can relate, man. Some of us had great childhoods and we're grateful for it. Some of us had terrible, some of us know people in our own lives touched by cancer. And some of us know firsthand what it's like to watch a child go through cancer. So that, that powerful, empowering, awesome creators and gamers and empowering them to fall in love with this mission and tell about it in their own ways, that's where the magic happens. And frankly, that's where the results happen. We reach people as marketers I could never afford to reach on my own. We raise millions of dollars we couldn't do on our own because he's an authentic, all the, they're, they're authentic connectors to the mission. So when they say this matters, people sit up and they take notice and we fund more research and we save more lives. Yeah. And, and how big is the team at St. Jude that's working on esports? And are you guys growing? What do you guys have coming up next? Yeah. It's, um, it's a, right now a small and mighty, but it's a dedicated team. And I think that's what matters. This isn't somebody's side job. This isn't a passion on the end. This is a dedicated team that sits and thinks about this industry, this opportunity, future growth. So, so at ALSAC, we, are, we have the saying, right? We don't just wait to be disrupted. We look ahead and we try to anticipate those disruptions and embrace and seize them and lead the trends. And so this is a group that's constantly saying, okay, hey, what if, what if? And you know, this is an interesting arena. We have a lot of interesting and difficult conversations about what's appropriate for a brand with children, what's good growth, what's not. I mean, this is an industry that's growing and, and having some growing pains too. So it's a team in an area we're growing. We have big plans to do a lot more with this industry moving forward. And bottom line is because our mission has to grow, right? We are expanding globally. We are trying to save more children worldwide. Here in the United States, we've taken the overall child and cancer survival rate from 20 to 80%. Still, that means one in five children won't survive. And it's the opposite. It's four out of five, right? So this is a key path for us to reach people around the world to help us change it. Yeah, a lot of people don't think of nonprofits first when you're thinking about engaging in, in this, with this community. How has that been? either a challenge or an opportunity for you? Well, you just asked me one of my favorite questions. <laughs> I, um, it's time to sit up and pay attention. The next yeah. generations have told us that purpose matters. They're willing to quit their job. They're willing to move. They're willing to take less pay to do something that matters. And I think this global crisis, it's a multi-part crisis, right? COVID, social justice, and economic crisis has said, hey, we want to work hard and do something that matters. And so, there's already, I mean, one in 12 people work in nonprofits. It's a huge industry. We're making a difference. And shame on us, we haven't always been as innovative as we can. But I think the power of partnerships, nonprofit, for-profit, really creative fun things like this, this is how we change the world. And, and by the way, all companies should sit up and take notice because that's what the next gens have expected. They're not just going to buy a great product. They're going to buy the one that's attached to purpose. They're going to get engaged with a brand that's authentic. They want to change the world through their consumerism as well. And we'd love to partner and help people do that because by the way, it drives results. I can show you case studies that say when you partner with our brand, it can drive sales, it can drive revenue, but it really most importantly drives recruitment and retention and it can drive brand love. So we don't just show up to say, hey, give to us. We show up to say, let's collectively marshal all of our resources together and change the world for people who need us or dogs or the planet or social justice. You got my drift. Yeah, Emily, it's so good to hear from you. So much. 
I'm thank sorry. you for this opportunity. It's awesome. I'm glad we could put a little heart into the, the e-sports world because this is a community that cares. So it's cool. It's fun. It's all about tech, but man, do they care. So thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much. I'm excited to introduce a, a friend. Christian Bishop is the Chief Revenue Officer at Method Gaming, where he's responsible for the sales and partnership team while managing kind of current and new developer partnerships. He also oversees large business opportunities and transactions to accelerate kind of the growth of the business. And, you know, the revenue officer has always a target on their back. They got to create and generate revenue and monetize. So Christian, it's so great to have you with us today. For those of you who want to follow or to hit him up on Twitter, he's Mr. C Bishop, B-I-S-H-O-P on Twitter. Hey, Chris. You're the best, Ma. The best introductions. <laughs> the absolute best, Gary. <laughs> uh, she's awesome. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Nice to see you again, man. Uh, Lion King crushed me too. I gotta <laughs> let you know. Uh, absolutely crushed me. <laughs> so let, let's talk about, uh, why don't we set up the framework? Because I think uh, Method Gaming Limited is something a lot of the audience might not be familiar with. So why don't we give them some context? Yeah, so Method, we are an esports organization, uh, work exclusively in video games, but to be particular, it's the MMO and RPG category. That's our focus. There's, you know, as you know, Gary, there's yep. different types of games, FPS, MOBA games like League, FPS like Call of Duty, like your team. Um, we're in the RPG and MMO category, uh, specifically World of Warcraft. That's our main game. Understood. And what, what do you think about when you think about investing in esports for the for you know the private equity the hedge fund the the dollars or just the investors or just people trying to get into that ecosystem like how should people be thinking about investing in esports that's uh that's a big question yeah. um, you, good news you have time give us three four minute answer yeah, no, look, I, I think one of the big things we see a lot of capital that's moved into the scene now. Um, there's a lot of new brands that are being established and built, um, specifically around franchise esports. So I think one of the important things that if I was an investor that I would be looking for um, would be built around community and audience. I would be trying to find great partners that are bringing tremendous value to the scene, because uh, ultimately as an esports team, we're only as good as our community and the people that we support, you know, at Method. That's our number one focus is being a resource to gamers. Um, ultimately, people like me, man, that, that love video games, um, that are, uh, you know, have an opportunity to live our dream and make gaming, you know, yeah, which is our passion, our day-to-day -day life. So I'd work really hard to find a, a good group of people that, that feel that way and, and have a strong brand in the space. Ma? I was just going to ask, so Chief Revenue Officer, tell us about what your role is and how do brands really monetize and how does Method Gaming think about ROI when it comes to the investment side? Yeah, so, you know, one of our biggest partners is Twitch. So media rights and, and content is probably at the top uh, of our funnel when it comes to revenue as it pertains to what we do because we're, we're a content first organization. So we're, we're creating a lot of content. Our roster of talent has, has gotten as big as 80 at a certain point. Um, but it doesn't stop just with our content creators. We actually create and produce our own events. So, you know, owned and operated IP that we create, that we own is really important to us. So we've done a really good job to build out kind of our flagship products and events and millions of people tune into this, uh, to these. Uh, so it's been a really awesome opportunity to incorporate with brands like Hershey's and Red Bull and 
Dollar Shave Club and we've done a lot of awesome stuff with them. And what can you tell us a little bit about like an example? So just to kind of paint the picture for the audience, like if you were to engage with a brand like Hershey's or some of the other ones that you mentioned, what, how does that look like for the consumer? Yeah. So when it comes to Hershey's, you know, we did a really awesome event in the middle of the Las Vegas strip uh, last year, actually for the launch of a new game that Blizzard rolled out with World of Warcraft. Um, and we created a lot of custom content pieces and event series, had people down at the huge Hershey flagship store on the strip. So we had a really cool retail integration and segment with some of the best players in the world. In addition, tons of in-studio segments, uh, on-screen branding, uh, fan engagement campaigns. So it was really awesome way to to kind of lean on I think the great products that Hershey builds um, with some of our core IP and talent um, and then on the Red Bull side we've actually produced huge events with them and like their London Sphere and their tower and partnership with them historically so I think those are some of the two of the biggest brands in the world that we've done some really exciting stuff with and how hard is it to onboard brands like you have to pitch to them to come in and be a part of a community they may not know a lot about or they may not understand that well what what are some of the key messages or key things that you like to highlight for brands to get them to come into the industry yeah it starts number one with community and trust i think that's the biggest thing for us um, and with brands, we, we definitely spend a lot of time educating to give them some insight on what we're doing so they're comfortable with it, but also on the flip side to make sure we understand what's important to them. What are they trying to accomplish? What do they want to do? And really tying it all together to make sure it's a cohesive kind of relationship for the end product. What are, what are some of the white spaces or opportunities that you see that brands are not taking advantage of? You know, as you, you know, you're always reverse engineering as a CRO, right? Either relationship building, reverse engineering, driving initiatives. Talk to me about reverse engineering, where you sit there and say, if I was the CMO of Hershey's or Mondelez or Coca-Cola or Pepsi, whatever, you know, what do you think the emerging uh, white spaces for teams or organizations or leagues to get brands to see? Or what are some of the nuances? You know, I, I see a lot of small startup brands right now jumping into the chat, um, talking about like, oh, I want to do something in this space. And I'm thinking about what can they do or how do they activate a $25,000 campaign or a major Fortune 100 doing a $25,000 campaign to get their toes wet. Is there anything you're seeing that kind of you're like, damn, I, I just wish somebody would see how obvious this is? Yeah, the first thing that jumps out to me, Gary, is leveraging the platform, which is Twitch chat. I think that there's a tremendous opportunity to do something special um, with micro medium influencers with extremely passionate communities um, and working with them developing extensions um, in chat to integrate real time in the content. I think it gives you an always on approach. You know, there's tons and tons of content being created on the Twitch platform, a lot of competitors and teams that are creating content. And I think there's something special that you can really do um, on the platform side of things, mainly in chat um, with the emotes and the bits that mm -hmm. pop up. Um, I think you see Cash App has been really aggressive with that. They've been doing mm -hmm. some fun stuff. Uh, and I think that's a really awesome opportunity for low hanging fruit, smaller budget campaigns. How do you think about virtual currency? You know, like in the, in the macro, like do you think that that's something that people are understanding or do you think that's still kind of gliding through confusion in, in the corporate environment? Yeah, you know, 
from a from a gamer perspective you know at our level i think there's tons of our demo that tend to understand it and are more you know open to it and we've evaluated internally does it make sense to do something with our community a reward system of types that you've seen some of that getting locked in and announced um, on the business level on a b2b side you look at facebook's position and some other um, companies that I think are are trying to figure that out. So I think it's early. I think people are still paying attention, but there's a lot certainly going on on the coin side of things. Uh, I want to ask about the talent because we spent a lot of time talking about that and we have actually a, a, a talent coming up as our, our next guest. I saw that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're super thrilled that he's joining. But I want to ask about the talent and celebrities. I know you deal with that a lot in your in your and your side of the the, the game. Yeah. Uh, did you ask something else? My heart just want me to give some context. No, I just context. wanted to just chime in, like context on like, how, what's your experience? How do you work with the talent? What are some of the things that you're facing and what can brands learn about interacting with talent in the space? Yeah, sure. So, you know, method, that's one of our biggest things that we really care a lot about. And at a certain point, our roster has gotten as large as 80. So I think for us, supporting creators and content creators every day from all parts of the world, right? We've got talent. We've had talent throughout Europe, North America, Australia. And I think working with brands based on their goals and their market, based on what region they want to push at and, and, and working together to come up with some dynamic, exciting campaigns is something I enjoy a lot. Uh, but it's not just brands. It's also game publishers, which honestly are, are one of the, the biggest spenders in our space that you know, can't really forget. So, you know, we do a lot on the game publisher side of things also. Yeah, I mean, the game publishers are, are critical for brands that really want to enter the space. They look at maybe the game publishers first as a point of entry to, to kind of get engaged. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting, Gary, what's your opinion on in-game marketing and branding? How do you feel about uh, kind of as you see this start to come together? I think Rocket League is doing more in that field. You know, look, I think, I think everything is in play when context is understood, right? Like when I look at the NBA, put the logos of brands on their jerseys, people emotionally thought about that in America versus European soccer forever until it was executed, done tastefully and in a good way and away we go. I look at QR codes, which are unbelievably successful in other parts of the world, an utter disaster in America, because the first thousand campaigns with QR codes seven, eight years ago were garbage and brought no value to anybody who clicked on one of them. And now it's a dead art. So for me, it's about how the integration's done early on that tends to build the momentum. Yeah, that's just you know? true. It's context. Like, you know, I think all of us, you know, we, we have a, we have Rob Moore coming on soon, who's been an owner and like just un understands the context of, you know, of this universe, he'll be successful. I've seen a lot of other businessmen and women come in, not understand the context and they fail. That's in the micro level. I think what we're talking about right now is in the micro level of it. But to me, it's, it's a huge warfare of context who gets it and who doesn't. I think, I think almost most things in, in business world go to this game of almost like what I would call slang. Right. Like, you know, like no matter what group of friends you're in, whether it's frat bros, whether it's urban culture in deep South side Atlanta, whether it's surfers on the West coast, whether it's sorority ladies, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, that subculture has its slang and either you understand it. And when you deliver the word, it lands or, or you don't understand it. Or even if you're using the terminology, the other 40 homies know you're not about it. You're just copying the word. You don't even know what it means. 
And I think that is basically how I think of the universe of business and marketing in general. And so when I think about that integration, like when you, when you segued and said, hey, Gary, literally immediately my brain said slang, context. Mm. And I, I think a lot about that. Yeah, Maha, to go back to your question and, and kind of piggyback off what Gary just mentioned, ultimately that's what we are for brands and, and partners that we work with. We're shepherds of shepherding them into the community and making that initial introduction from an authentic perspective because we understand uh, the nuance components and how to communicate with our audience. Um, because it's serving as a resource as a team for our gamers and our players and the community, ultimately that's what we do every single day is we're creating content we're getting those eyeballs and then what are we doing? We're ultimately monetizing that and building relationships with fans. So being a good shepherd, certainly top of mind. Yeah, I agree. I'm so glad that you got to come on and share your story and also love your own and operated events. I'm going to keep watching those. I think they're highly entertaining and I think brands can get a lot of them as well. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Okay. We have a very special guest, probably the youngest of our guest speakers today. Um, we're really excited that Kyle Buga Geersdorf is here. He is a 17-year-old professional Fortnite streamer and player of the Sentinels Esports organization. He has been crowned the Fortnite World Champion in 2019 by beating out 40 million competitors wow, <laughs> worldwide. And he outscored the final 100 contestants in the finals. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Kyle play, but the dexterity and, 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 and the speed of which he works is just phenomenal to watch. Uh, Buga was also crowned both the PC Rookie Player of the Year and the PC Player of the Year at the Esports Awards last November uh, of 2019. Kyle, or should we call you Buga, we are so excited that you are here. He is at B-U-G-H-A on Twitter. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you. We, we met last year at the Super Bowl with your parents and you have the coolest setup out of all of us. I have to admit. And, and very good taste in hoodie material. I'm very, I'm very thankful for that Kyle. <laughs> I appreciate the shout. Brother, what, uh, first of all, it's great to see you. I hope you've been well. It's always great to see you instead of just texting. Um, what's the biggest, from your perspective as one of the great players in this space, going through it, obviously having the iconic moment that a lot of you, like you were the reason a lot of people took note about esports or that tournament you're winning and how big the prize money was. Obviously that made enormous news throughout the world. Like what do you continue to like laugh in your young man's head when you hear people talking about esports because you're in it and what kind of makes you snicker or laugh? What's the biggest misperception you think from the, the masses or the parents or the mainstream media or just like that, that cliche thing that always makes you kind of snicker of like, if they only knew. Yeah. I mean, it would probably be like thinking that all gamers are just these sit behind their desk nerds. They don't do anything else. They just play the game 24 seven are unhealthy, all that. Like <laughs> that's just, honestly, it's not true at least for me, but um, it's probably the biggest thing. And what about, and what about how you see, you know, the space evolving. What's the biggest difference in the macro space? And again, what's great about a show like this is we have CMOs and we have, you know, obviously after this, a team owner, but like from just your perspective, from your eyes, what's the biggest thing that's shifting in the last six months or 12 months uh, about the space, about, even, and, and by the way, even if you want to go into your, your own gameplay or things of that nature, like what's kind of happening? 
Yeah, I mean, recently esports has just been like evolving and blowing up. I've seen so many more businesses, organizations, just everyone's just getting into esports now. Just it's growing widely. Um, but for me right now, playing Fortnite, there hasn't been too much in the Fortnite scene, just kind of like a new season going on. But um, you see a lot about, more popping in. What about, you know, this is probably going to be fun for people here, like just your perspective. What about the younger crew? of players coming up, right? Like, yeah. what are you even seeing from like the 12, 13, 14 oh, yeah, yeah. year old set? And you're like, whoa, that kid, like, I think people, you know, obviously you're paying attention. You're seeing different ways people are playing. And I also know that you're expanding and trying out different games and things of that nature. Anything, anything catching your eye as an innovation, like anything from a hardware, what kids are using or mindsets or strategies or any kind of nerdy deep, like I know a lot of people watching who are players or aspirational players. So you can give us a different perspective here. Yeah, I mean, all the time, players are evolving. Everyone's getting better at the game. Like, all the younger players right now are kind of coming up and pushing some of the older guys out because they're so much more mechanical and they're, like, way better in fights and everything. So some of them are kind of dominating right now. But for me, real I'm quick, still hanging real, in there. Real quick, real quick. Tell everybody how old you are and how old these <laughs> young guys are because, you know, literally you just delivered. I'm still hanging in there, and I think – a collective <laughs> 10,000 people just threw up because like, they're like, wait, yeah. how old is this kid? And who's, but like, but paint the picture. You as like an older guy or an OG, like what age group are you talking about? Some of the younger guys and where do, where do you sit in comparison by age? Yeah, I'm 17 and in the Fortnite scene right now, that's kind of like middle age coming up to the like later ages. <laughs> and the younger guys are like 13, 14. They're all coming up. But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of shocking. Like, I'm 17 and I'm in the middle age group, kind of <laughs> later age group in a game. Like, I, that's just so weird. Kyle, your perspective, one last thing before we get to Rob, and I really appreciate you taking time because I know how busy you are for jumping on and giving us some firepower here. Do you think in esports, we don't think about LeBron, even though LeBron James actually talks about playing tight end in the NFL, like the magnitude of like the way professional sports as we've known it, you haven't seen that crossover your prediction, your own opinion of your own self. And I know you have great quiet confidence. So I'm just giving you the mm -hmm. room to speak to that. The crossover ability, you know, Deion Sanders, Bo Jackson, two of the only ones who've ever really done it. Do you, as these games get established and we really see 7, 12, 19, 22 esports really capturing the attention of the world, do you personally anticipate? certain kids coming along and being great at three or four do you think that's too hard your hot take because i'm yeah. genuinely curious about how that plays out yeah so i mean like <clears throat> i think a lot of it is just dependent upon the person so like me for example any game that i'm going to i'm always trying to improve i'm always trying to get really good at it I feel like that's just my competitive drive so i don't know i think it would be easy if you are that type of person but if you're not maybe you're just good at one game but for me personally, like do you, I think do you I can be good. Do you, so do you anticipate being world-class in multiple games? I think so, yeah. <laughs> and and do, when you watch other people and you're just watching the scene, have you seen some people emerge? Do, do, do you think it is a psychological competitiveness? Oh, 100%, yeah. And, and you don't think it's a hand-eye kind of core? Like, you don't you think it's certain genre games will map? Like, does Fortnite map to being good at FIFA or is that completely uh, impossible in your mind of making that transition versus another game that has a similar format? Yeah, like if we're going to another like third-person shooter, I think it could translate really well. 
Right. But I think it would take more time to get used to like a sports game or something entirely different. So understood. Well, Kyle, listen, I, I want to get to Rob because I think he's going to bring some great perspective for the people on. And I really appreciate you making the time and kind of surprise guesting here. So thank you. Uh, thank you for having me, guys. Of course. Thanks for popping in. Our final guest is Rob Moore, who is the CEO of Sentinel Gaming, an entertainment industry vet who is the founder and managing partner of P1 Esports. He created the company in 2016 and is now the fastest growing esports lifestyle organization in the industry, rising to the top tier of competitive world-class competition with elite teams and champion players. Welcome, Rob, to the show. Uh, we see one of your talent is, is, is really just a, a phenomenal guy. Well, before Kyle completely leaves, I see I'm still there. I mean, we owe a huge debt of gratitude to Kyle as we made a strategic shift as an organization three years ago to really focus on finding the best players in the newest games and then really trying to build the brand on the new games. And then Kyle goes to New York and wins the most um, unbelievable event and really put a spotlight on our organization that then really elevated the profile of an organization that was relatively new and much lower profile that then turned into the ability to attract additional top players, including recently able to attract Sinatra, who was the player, getting to Gary's question, who jumped from being the MVP of the Overwatch League, leading the United States to a World Cup victory over Korea. And then he decided, and I think this was the one really key thing, getting to what Kyle's saying, is that he jumped in immediately. So therefore, there is no person on the planet who now has more experience in Valorant than Sinatra does because he immediately jumped into the game and he brought the skill sets from his tradition because he actually started in Counter-Strike. So he went from Counter-Strike to Overwatch and now into Valorant and has led our team to winning three of the last four tournaments, including the big tournament this weekend and has now made us into the number one team in North America. Um, and again, really now elevating to where the big rivalry in Valorant is between TSM, who is the traditional number one esport gold standard uh, entity. And now our team is on equal footing to them. And so that certainly you know, it was a confirmation of the strategy we launched and then the spectacular play that Kyle put on in New York last year. And that combination has now put us in a position that, you know, that really gave us three years of head start in terms of the legwork we would have had to do to build the brand of now where we are and how much more visibility we have, how much more success we have. And like I said, I just want to take one last chance to thank Kyle for what he did and what he did with us and for us. Bob, do you feel that your incredible career in the entertainment space gave you the context of segueing into this universe? Like, was it, you know, obviously sometimes when somebody has tremendous success in a prior life, they can't see the parallels because they're romantic about the past. And then other times it's their strength because they see pattern recognition. As I've gotten to know you through the years and, and respecting you from prior to that and watching you navigate continuously, you think that was a uh, advantage? And more importantly, for a lot of people that are watching right now that are fascinated by this space, what do you learn from that transition? 
Well, the key thing, you know, the movie business has had a real struggle evolving and adapting to what's happening in the world. And you see it today where the movie theater owners were at war with Jeff Shell at Comcast when he said, we need to change the business model. That I lived through one of the most amazing transformations in the world. And most people didn't really process what it meant. But when you go back, and I'll know now, I'm going to start to date myself because this took place before Kyle Kyle was born. But in 1999, the number one revenue generator for every movie studio was Blockbuster Home Entertainment. That's right. Okay. And now today, the biggest entertainment company in the world 20 years later is Netflix, who was Blockbuster's tiny little brother tiny right? begged and begged begged to have blockbuster buy them for <laughs> pennies 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 on the dollar and so what you saw was people who were entrenched in their position of here's the status quo this is what gives me my current success my current power i don't want to change because this is where i'm comfortable and i saw a similar dynamic in the movie business with digital marketing when Twitter first launched and Facebook first launched. And again, people were struggling with where do we move our media dollars and how do we now engage with these new platforms and these new audiences? And we took one of the biggest jumps with the movie called Paranormal Activity, where we really embraced social media as a way to engage with fans and put out this content that tried to give viewers the impression that the movie was real and that this footage was actual footage because it was actually shot with a guy's camera in his own home with his own girlfriend. And so seeing that evolution and seeing how long it takes people to change. So jumping into esports, I now at least have that perspective of what the challenges are. That if you're the chief marketing officer, I've dealt with those politics. I've had to explain I've had to explain to Michael Bay on Transformers, and again, this will now sound absurd as I say it, but moving media dollars from the Los Angeles Times to Google and Facebook at the time sounded like, what is wrong with you? Why is no one else doing this? So I think though that context and that perspective is incredibly valuable as now I've moved into the gaming space and understanding the challenges for people and understand, understanding where the areas of focus are. And so- Movie industry, moving into gaming, another potential advantage without knowing every detail of your career is the global nature of gaming similar to the movie industry. Thoughts on that, the parallels, the differences, and more importantly, to make it very contemporary, the opportunities for individuals, businesses, executives right now, understanding the matrix of the global nature of this. Yeah, I think the movie business really in the last five years became incredibly global and became, China became the second biggest market. And on some really big movies like The Last Transformers, China actually generating more business than the United States. Right, was the lead, right? They even had a character that was unique. Is that right? It was designed from China. And so this space is also one that has a global fan base. So 
when you look at the longest running, most successful esport, which has been League of Legends, they truly have structured a global league and they actually have a world champion. Like they have leagues in North America and Europe and Korea and China who all then play off to then go and compete against each other for a world championship. And so I think that is what's really unique about esports is that it is genuinely global. The appeal is universal. And so while the appeal is young, but that is certainly again in my, you know, the, the current challenge for everyone is how do we market to these people under 30 who have abandoned linear television even before the last 12 months? Right. And so this is a space where that group lives and gathers and is engaged. And I think that is where we see the huge opportunity for sponsors is here is the environment to connect with young people in the area that they're most engaged Maha, last question for Rob before we, uh, we thank him mightily for his appearance. I was just going to ask, like, what's it like running, you know, a, a team? Like, what is it like for you? And, and what are some of the things that people may not know about, you know, you're, in, you're heavy, deep into the gaming industry? Well, it is funny because, as Gary pointed out, right, it's like Kyle blew up at 17. So you're dealing with true, genuine superstars. And Kyle is an amazing kid because his personality, his work ethic, like he is so mature beyond a 17 year old, but crossing that combination of, again, they are star athletes and they put in that effort and they put in that training, but then we're building a global brand. And so now our goal was really get to a place where our brand was big enough to then go to A-level sponsors and start to engage. So that's really the opportunity and the focus for us now in the next 12 months is we've now built this brand and we've now increased the visibility and so taking that combination of experiences in connecting with global brands, dealing with superstars and building brands and bringing them all together. So that's, that is the hope of where this goes from here. Exciting. For everybody who's watching, I'll just part with this. If, if you're not familiar with Rob's work, Google it up. Uh, you know, it uh, could be a great framework and inspiration for many. Rob, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Of course. Talk, talk to you soon. Andrea Maha, send us away. Thank you, Gary, and thank you, Maha. And most importantly, thank you all for joining us today. We'll be back next Wednesday, September 9th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern time with speakers who are truly the who's who across every single industry. Join us to hear from the C-suite of Diageo, the Haines Celestial, the Handel Group, Lowe's, Mac Cosmetics, Mitsubishi, Morning Consult, and UNICEF. And for past recordings, please go to VaynerX.com and please give us feedback on hashtag marketing for the now. And we can't wait to see you next week. Bye-bye. All right, episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe up on Apple. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Gary. Today's highlighted review is Best Way to Start the Day by ZB Cheesemonger. I have enjoyed listening to this podcast every day for the last year. It's such a great way to stay motivated and hungry while keeping perspective on what's important in life. Thank you for doing what you do. 
Thank you, ZB Cheesemonger. Keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.